My uh, title this morning is Raising the Next Generation. And uh, as you can see, I put some uh, uh, photos up on there just to get you thinking about things and uh, just to get your minds uh, whirring about it. But I'm going to start this morning just by uh, reading a couple of passages. Uh, This is part of our series on Proverbs. I'm going to start with Proverbs and then read a passage from Judges 2 as well. So if you want to turn with me for Proverbs 4, and then uh, we'll read from there, verses 1 to 5. Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 5. It says this, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. That's going to be a backdrop for many of the things I say in the next uh, 10 minutes in the kind of introduction to what I'm going to say. But I'd like to turn turn to Judges now. Judges 2, uh, verses 7 to 10. And uh, I'll just read that. It said, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Just going to stop a, a minute in that passage. You've got that great idea, haven't you? The great things that happened in the days of Joshua. The great things that they all knew about, that all lived through, that all had faith through. And in verse 8, it said, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him with the boundaries of his inheritance in a place called Timmathheres and in the country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. So they buried Joshua. And all that generation, in verse 10, were gathered to their fathers. So the whole generation were gathered away. That great, victorious generation that had taken them into the promised land. And then the end of verse 10 says this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just ask that you'd be with us this morning, you'd encourage us, you'd bless us, you'd challenge us. Lord, help us to understand and to grasp and to to feel the touch of heaven, Lord, about raising the next generation, Lord Jesus. Help us to see your passion and your heart this morning, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come amongst us, Lord. Amen. What a challenge, eh? A generation that did not know the Lord or the work that God had done for Israel. What a challenge. Do you know, the generation that's growing up, those in the youth, those in the children's work, maybe some of those also that are slightly older than that, they're not going to be fighting the same battles for Christianity that we fought. They're not going to have the same history that we had. They're not going to be able to talk back about things that happened in the 60s and the 70s. There'll be things like maybe Tiananmen Square, and they'll say, what's that? It'll be a different battles that they're going to fight. 
It'll be different battles they're going to fight. And will they be a generation, this is my question, who will take on from the inheritance that they have with us here and in many other churches around the country, and will they take it forward? And how can we be a part of allowing them and encouraging them and raising that next generation? The Bible states there's a danger here that the spiritual inheritance that the fullness of the gospel, that the sacrifice needed to see the gospel flourish does not always pass from one generation to another. That is not automatic. And my feeling is that I'm not just talking to parents today. I'm talking to the whole church, married and single, old and young. Those that feel very bold in talking about things and those who feel that they're of a more quieter disposition. Those who feel that they're in leadership and those who feel that they're not. Will our precious Jesus be really known in the next generation? Let me put it this way. Our challenge is not so much to build a better future for our children, but to build better children for the future. That's our challenge. It's a huge challenge. And maybe, and maybe I'm overstepping myself here, but maybe this is the greatest challenge for Gateway over the next few years. Maybe it's the greatest challenge for our movement of churches in this country to see the next generation rising up and taking on the gospel and the power of the gospel. To see the next generation having the compassion and passion for the poor. To seeing the next generation having that heart for Jesus, understanding the word and the spirit and how powerful. To see the next generation challenging its own generation with its own culture and its own challenges. How do we raise the next generation? How will the next generation have that raw faith, that raw faith to deal with the issues? Do you know, as I uh, have been thinking about this, I've been thinking about people who've really impacted myself and uh, Andrea over the years. And I've uh, thought about many people uh, going back who've spent time with us and encouraged us. You know, um, I've thought of Graham and his, the huge impact that he's had on me, uh, and Carl, and more recently Johnny. But actually, I, I, in terms of example, I end up with just one couple, because um, I, I think they illustrate this very well. And a couple that one or two here may know, and they're a couple called Barry and Annie Cushing. They're a very quiet couple. They wouldn't want to push themselves forward. And uh, they spent a lot of time with us when we were just married. They had this small group uh, that was full of lots of different people, and they thought us as newly married people would be the people to hand it over to. We really didn't know what we were doing. And they would spend hours with us. And you may not believe this story, but it is true. They used to counsel us. They were both working full-time as they were doing this, but they used to counsel us. And one of them used to be talking to us, encouraging us, and challenging us, and questioning things. And the other used to fall asleep. So as Barry used to talk, Annie used to fall asleep. And then as if by magic, Annie would kind of wake up slightly, and she would have something to say, and then Barry would fall asleep. (laughs) And then they would both come together at the end. And they were absolutely sold out for Jesus. Absolutely sold out 
to encourage us and to get the very best out of us, whatever the cost for themselves. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 to 15 says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then to be imitators of me. The church needs more fathers. And I'm using that in a gender neutral way. Needs more people to father, to really invest in the next generation. And I suppose that's where I'm going now. I'm talking about how do we do that? How do we take the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom from different parts of the Bible, and how do we invest in the next generation so that they take on the challenge of their generation? Proverbs uh, chapter 2, I'm just going to read a few verses from there. It says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and acknowledge and will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. Notice just for a minute verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. How the new generation that's coming up needs to understand that, needs to have that in their bones. Righteousness, justice, equity in the world that we're facing in the mo- at the moment and will do over the next few years. How that is my heart as a teacher in school and here talking in front of you that we see that in our young people. So I'm going to look at this in four different ways. I'm going to look at it in the idea of to train up, our role in training. Number two, to discipline, which Proverbs says quite a lot about. Number three, to be revolutionary. And there I'm talking to the the young people, the next generation, to be revolutionary and to be honest. Those are the four elements of what I'm looking at. So, to train up, first of all. Notice just for a moment uh, the first passage we read in in Proverbs 4. It was uh, all about, uh, hear my, my hero sons, my father's instruction. It was written by, Solomon, by um, Solomon, and he was talking about his father, David. So you've got there, if you like, Solomon recognising David heart and preparing him for kinship. There's that, that heart there in terms of training and instructing. Proverbs 22, verse 6, says this. Train up a child in the way he should go, 
And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Notice, first of all, in terms of this training, this is intentional. This is deliberate. This is structured. This is thought through. It's not maybe the way the world looks at, at the moment, young people growing up. Do you know, just let them try this. Let them try that. Let them experiment for themselves. Let them just see what they like. Let them taste a bit of this, taste a bit of that, and let them just grow up by themselves. No, this is intentional. This is the way it should go. The gospel is the way you should go. The fullness of the gospel. That is important. Compassion for the poor, that is important. This is intentional. It's intentional parenting. When you look at your children, those that are parents, you're saying, yes, I want them to be Christians. Yes, I want them to know the fullness of the gospel. But what else do you want for them? The confidence to be able to stand up in their friends and say, no, I don't think that's right. The confidence to be able to share the gospel The confidence to be able to sing or play an instrument or or talk or shout or stand against the flow. What do you want? How are you going to be intentional in terms of what you want for your children? Parents' role is not about allowing a child to find themselves. Training takes many forms. And I think this is when it it changes as, as, as kids get older. Sometimes it is training and teaching. It's talking about things. It's saying, look, this is this, this is that, this is what it is, let me talk about it. But I've realised, as uh, they get older and working in school, sometimes, as soon as you get into that mode, they just switch off. seems to be a teenager button. As soon as you start going into teaching mode, they just go... And then switch on again when it's something interesting. The football, no, that's not interesting, sorry. Shouldn't have mentioned that. But switch on again. But there is the element within training of modelling. How are you modelling to the younger generation? As parents, how are you modelling what you want them to be like? If you want them to read their Bible regularly, how are you modelling that so they can see? If you want them to pray with passion, how are you modelling that? If you want them to have compassion for the poor, how are you modelling that? There's a huge element of modelling that goes with that. There's an element of disciplining, which we'll come on to later. And there's the area of rearing as well, isn't it? It's kind of encouraging. Looking after, particularly in the early years, looking after and providing that safe place. And that's just not parents, is it? That's the safe place in the church to make mistakes, to fall flat, to have fun, to say the wrong thing, to kick the wrong person, to hold the wrong hand, because it's a safe place to be. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on uh, Proverbs, said this. Wisdom will be hard won. A quality of character as much as of a mind. He also says, many of the reminders, however, that even the best training cannot instill wisdom, but only encourage the choice to seek it. However much we train up the next generation, individuals, parents, however good you are at it, there is that response that needs to come. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't matter what you do, because it's the response that comes to your training. And I think that's important, that we can just feel uh, that, that we've done a good job. 
you know, as I uh, read this, and I'm going to step out a little bit on a limb here, um, there's a little bit as I read through Proverbs that talks about education, and as a teacher, I'm passionate about it. But when it talks about wisdom, it talks about a number of other words as well in a positive way. So it talks about insight, talks about understanding, talks about discretion. And actually, in a positive way, it talks about knowledge. Not like in the New Testament where knowledge puffs up, maybe the Greek thought, but it talks positively about knowledge. And I think there's an element here of talking positively about education, saying that education is really important. And as I'm thinking about that, personally, I'm coming from two aspects. The first aspect is that in terms of education, in terms of working hard, whether it be at school or wherever it is, it's that knowledge that that being lazy doesn't help. So much, isn't there, in Proverbs about, about the sluggard being lazy. But working hard is important. That there's that, that understanding, that encouraging education. Come on, work hard. Do your very best. Get the very best grade that you possibly can. Because that hard work will keep you going throughout your life. Whatever you do, however you respond to the challenges, that hard work will bless you. And there's also the idea of looking and understanding the world. I'm going to give a, an example today. I uh, heard a story of an A-level class. Uh, where uh, a teacher, I'm not going to say the subject, was talking about something to do with an evolutionary principle. And there were four students that this story person, who wasn't a Christian, called Pentecostal Christians. I have no idea where they came from, so I'm not being rude about anybody, called Pentecostal Christians. And as soon as they heard the idea of something that was evolutionary, they said, sorry, sir, we can't learn about this. They shut their mind off completely. They didn't want to understand it. They said, no, we can't even listen. So the teacher, which I think in great way, took them aside afterwards and said, look, what I'm doing with you is I'm informing you about something. I'm talking to you about a theory. And I'll talk about lots of different theories. And your idea, what I'm trying to help you to do, is to be critical, to understand them, to challenge them. So I'm going to teach this to you, but what I want you to do is to critique it. And I think that is good education, isn't it? That we're giving the information, we're talking about the world and the theories. And then confident that our young people, that the next generation, will use the character that's been instilled in them. The understanding of the Bible to challenge and question. Okay, so. That's training. To train up, number one. Number two, to discipline. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 5, verse 23 says, He dies for lack of discipline. Because, great, because of great folly, he is led astray. Do you know, I love reading biographies. And if you read the biographies of people like Hudson Taylor, of John Wesley, some of the great men of faith... If you read about their upbringing, it often has great discipline in the family. There's great discipline in, 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 in how they were brought up. Maybe sometimes too much discipline in terms of doing that. But it put into them great discipline and character. It had the understanding of the world, 
but they had the discipline of Christian character, of Bible reading, of regular prayer, of the importance of family. And I think the whole the concept of discipline, rather than just the, the punishment side, is the idea that discipline is good. Discipline is fruitful. Discipline, appropriate discipline, and age-appropriate discipline. There's a, a great quote, um, which I haven't put up on the screen, from uh, Jane Cassidy, who's a child psychotherapist. She says this. This is addressed at parents, but I think it refers to all of us. If you always give in, they don't learn that somebody can stay firm. So when they become young teenagers and adults, they don't have the capability to say no to themselves when they are under pressure in terms of drugs, delinquency, or sex. Do you know the discipline in the home helps the young people, the next generation, to have self-discipline that helps, us to, helps them to say no. It helps them say, no, I'm not going down that route. I know it's tempting. I know peer pressure is tough. I know it might make me un- unpopular, but I just don't care because I love Jesus. Okay, discipline. Let me move on quickly to the next one. To be revolutionary. Young people here, teenagers, if there's one thing I want to say to you today, and that is, be revolutionary. Didn't expect that word to come out of Proverbs, did you? Be revolutionary. If you're going to be the new generation, I'm talking to them now, and to those in the the kids' work out there and their younger youth, if you're going to be a generation who is going to be uh, champions of righteousness and justice, it's going to be required of you to be prepared to go against the flow. Raymond Ortmund, in uh, his book that we've been looking at on Proverbs, says this, your parental role is to raise your child to be gung-ho for Christ. To do great things. To do amazing things for Jesus. To do things that we think, at their age, may be a little bit unwise. But to do it in faith. To be those who want to go up Everest for Jesus. Those who want to preach to thousands. Those who want to start up something that we feel culturally we don't even understand, but they feel will further the gospel. It is just so important that we don't just discipline and encourage, but we let them fly. We say, go on, do it. Go to places I've never been. Do things at an age I just thought it wasn't possible and make a huge impact. I'm just going to read a couple of things here from uh, this book, uh, which we've mentioned before on Proverbs. It said, David Farragut went to sea at age 10, fought the war of 1812 at the age 11. By 12, he rose to the rank of captain and commanded and captured a British ship. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, another one, preached his first sermon at the age of 15. They're still out in the youth, I think, our 15-year-olds. Pastors the church at the age of 16 and was preaching to crowds of 5,000 people aged 19. 
We want to see, don't we, the next generation going further, doing more, having huge ambitions that we think are really risky. But doing that for Jesus. We want them to be revolutionaries. People are are looking at me slightly blank now, and I'm going to keep going on this one until I get some more smiles, because we want them to be revolutionary. Do we not? Amen. Right. If you want your child, this is from Raymond Altman, to be passionate for Christ, let them see the passion in you. Let them see the passion in you. The passion for what you do and in your generation. Parents, trust God that even before they have left school, they can do great exploits for Christ. Don't just protect your kids. Let them fly. Francis Schaeffer says this, one of the great injustices we do to our young people is to ask them to be conservative. Christianity today is not conservative, but revolutionary. To be conservative today is to miss the whole point, for conservatism means to stand in the flow of the status quo, and we must teach the young to be revolutionaries, revolutionaries against the status quo. I think I've made my point. I'll move on. Okay, so we've talked about... Training up, disciplining, revolutionary. And then, number four, let's be honest. Let's be honest about life. From what I know of of teenagers, the thing that they really struggle with is hypocrisy. It's the I'm fine mentality. Because teenagers talk, they know what's going on in families. And if they see somebody saying at church, oh, I'm fine, are you fine? We're fine. It's lovely, isn't it? Hallelujah, praise God, I've had such a good week. But they know. They know the reality of what you're struggling with. They need to see that. And it may not be that you say, okay, I'm going to be completely morose this week with everybody. I've had an awful week. It's been awful. It's terrible, you know, so nobody wants to talk to you. You may not talk like that, but you may say, look, I'll be honest here, it's been hard. But praise God, I know he's going to be with me. I may not sense his love at the moment, but I know he's going to be with me. They need the honesty of what we're going through. Age appropriately, but to understand the realities of life and the difficulties that we face and how we overcome, even when we don't see the answer, that we have faith. Okay, a couple of bits of honesty from Proverbs that I think we should communicate to the next generation. Number one, don't be lazy. It says that again and again. Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard, which I assume means lazy one, sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. you know, the Xbox generation, and I'm not being rude about Xboxes here, but the Xbox generation are not going to win people for Christ on the Xbox. The number of hours they spent in front of an Xbox is not going to make a difference in our generation. I have never yet heard of anybody getting saved through talking through the Xbox. It may have happened, but I've never heard of that. But a generation who stands against the flow who challenges, who questions, and who has a compassion and a love for Jesus. 
that makes a difference. Okay, uh, number two, Proverbs 23. We talked a bit about this last week, but I'm going to mention it because it fits well in here. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Do you know, there's a danger, a huge danger, in terms of pornography, that we talked a lot about last week, in terms of adultery, in terms of all the sexual things that are around today. And maybe there's times when we need to be honest. In those rare moments, those who have got teenagers, when you have that honest conversation, take the opportunity to be honest about the dangers. Moving on. (laughs) Number three. I don't know quite how to put this, but there's a lot in Proverbs. Just say, look, come on, be sensible. Have a bit of common sense about all this. You know, let's just be sensible about it. Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, The wise of heart receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. There's a lot about honesty there, isn't it? Just being honest about your life, being honest about what's true. Proverbs is full of those. Okay, so how do I conclude this? How do I become a little bit more practical? And my my phrase for that is take up the challenge. How do we take up the challenge of encouraging the next generation? How do all of us, I'm speaking to everybody here. Okay, the first thing here is mentoring. Choosing somebody or looking after somebody or allocating somebody that you really want to invest into. Whether that's in terms of something you lead or you work within the church, maybe that's something at work. But to invest in the next generation. A few things about mentoring. Number one, it's to do with relationships. So it's got to be a member of choice from both sides in terms of mentoring. You've got to talk about that. There's got to be a relationship there to mentor. Number two, the aim of mentoring should be, like this one, to make yourself redundant. In other words, if you're successful in what you do, it actually means that you're not needed because that person is coming through. So you're mentoring somebody in terms of the PA at the back there. You're helping somebody to develop those skills, to understand all the things that go on. And then you realise, actually, you're not really needed anymore. Makes you feel a bit strange. But actually, that's the whole idea, to make yourself redundant. A wise man said to me, Your success is in your successors. That gets you to think, doesn't it? Your success is in your successors, or measured by your successors. We want to see the next generation being more successful than we have been. Don't forget the accountability of that relationship. Your wisdom in terms of being older or more mature gives you the chance, and that relationship gives you the chance to hold accountable and do really realize that's going to cause com- confrontation might be times you need to confront we're not very good at that sometimes but, um, as a in, in our community in our culture but we've got to be happy with confronting okay so that's a few things on uh, on mentoring a couple of other things take the young'uns with you when you do something when you do something that you think is great, take one of them with you. Let them experience how difficult you find it to walk seven miles. 
Let them experience uh, when you're, when you're uh, doing something that you've done for the first time and you're finding it very difficult. Let them experience the difficulties that you go through in setting up the PA when it's not quite working and then and, and, and working through with it and, and being determined and keeping going. Let them experience. Take the young'uns with you. Next one. Be prepared to step aside and let them have a go. They might not do it as well as you do. First time. But you weren't great when you started either, if we're honest. Nor was I. We weren't, were we? Everybody has to learn somewhere. Step aside. Let them have a go. Take a risk on them and allow them to take risks. Children's and youth work. I have a a huge debt of gratitude to all those who've worked um, with my children uh, over the years and, uh, you know, the work that's still going on out there. I'm not going to mention any names. But maybe God today is prompting you that maybe that's something you'd like to be involved in. Maybe not in a major way, but just so that you can have the contact and you can get to know one or two of the amazing young people in this church. Next, pray. Not just for your own children, not just for your own, the ones that, that you like, but pray for the young people that they will take on the challenge. They will become risk takers, that they will become great men and women of God. And finally, don't count yourself out. I'm talking to everybody. That investment is from everybody here. I think... Um, my final thoughts uh, really should turn to Jesus. And as, I, as you reflect on Jesus and the time he spent here, particularly his ministry, time of ministry, reflects on the time that he spent always with his disciples, always with that group of people. Whether he was going somewhere and praying, whether he was challenging the temple, whether he was healing somebody, the disciples were always there. He invested a huge amount of time in those 12 disciples. You know, he could have spent time with one person a day over the three years of his ministry, which takes somewhere around a 1,000 people he would have impacted. But no, he spent a lot of time on those 12 people. This is a model that Jesus follows. And so should we.